When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should tune in to do today's show. XRP gets an ally in their lawsuit against the SEC, and it's none other than Coinbase. We'll dig into the developments and why it matters to you. Plus, speaking of regulation, we have Georgia Quinn from Anchorage joining us live for our main interview segment shortly to give us an overview on the state of regulation. So stay tuned for that. I'm Elaine Lee, your friendly crypto host and producer. Ash Bennington is back in the house with me today. Ash, how are you, darling? Elaine, it's always a pleasure to be here with you. And slightly right. less horse this morning, so things are going oh, well. Oh, good, 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 good. Looking solid. So let's jump straight into the price action then. So Bitcoin is still holding steady at around 20,000. It's virtually flat for the last 24 hours, but it's still up nearly 5% over the last seven days. Ash, how's Ethereum looking today? Uh, Ethereum is trading in the $1,500 to $1,600 range right now. It's up slightly on a 24-hour basis, uh, but ETH has had a much better week than Bitcoin. Uh, ETH still up nearly 13% on a trailing seven-day basis, Elaine. Okay, and now, of course, we are also have to keep an eye on Dogecoin because it's definitely been a wild ride since the Musk Twitter takeover. It's nearly up by 11% over the last 24 hours. And then take a look at it, of course, after that little doggy was posted up on Twitter on his timeline wearing a Twitter logo t-shirt. Clocking in around roughly 13 to 14 cents a coin, but on the seventh day, it's nearly up a whopping 130%. Very volatile. So definitely some wild moves there, right, Ash? Yeah, I mean, it's just pure speculation at this point. Old New York sports fans will remember a sportcaster named Marv Albert, and when the Knicks were playing really terrible, he would say, it's garbage time at the Garden. It's just speculation time in Dogecoin. Uh, there's no real rationale for it. Uh, it seems, you know, prices are just swinging very wildly on speculation about what Mr. Uh, Musk will or will not do with Twitter, will or will not do with Dogecoin. Uh, buyer beware. Handling volatility at its finest. All right, one final crypto that we are following today is XRP. It's slightly up on a 24-hour basis, but virtually flat in the past week as some investors remain on tenterhooks over a high-profile court case, which brings us to our next top story. Coinbase becomes an ally with Ripple Labs, the company behind XRP, in their lawsuit against the U.S. Security and Exchange Commission, the SEC. Now, for some background, because this is such a complicated story, um, in the late 2020, the SEC sued Ripple Labs, alleging that they are selling XRP as an unregistered security. Now, Coinbase, along with the Blockchain Association and others, is petitioning the federal courts for permission to file a friend of the court, i.e. an amicus brief. In regards to Ripple's lawsuit against the SEC, at the heart of the matter, Coinbase, along with Ripple, is arguing that the SEC did not provide fair notice ahead of their enforcement and that the SEC had been inconsistent regarding its approach to enforcement. Ash, this is a long, complicated stories over the past years within the crypto community. So lots to unpack. The drama keeps unfolding. Yeah. Why is this story so, so important? 
Well, you know, it's interesting for a couple of reasons. Coinbase, of course, is one of the largest players uh, in the digital asset cryptocurrency space. Uh, they have, in fact, filed an amicus brief. This is a friend of the court brief. That means that they're not a direct party to the action, but they want to weigh in on it because they think they have some relevant facts for the court to understand. I think it's probably fair to say Coinbase's brief here is about seeking uh, greater clarity on legislation. It's important to note that Coinbase delisted XRP when SEC filed suit against Ripple. It's probably also fair to say that Coinbase has been under some social pressure within the crypto community uh, to back Ripple ever since. I want to read a quote here uh, by Paul Grewal, the chief legal officer of Coinbase. Quote, our point is pretty simple. This is a textbook case of just how critical fair notice is, uh, any reasonable due process under law. So to break that down a little bit for those who may not know, the due process uh, clause, of course, is enshrined in the Constitution. Uh, courts have later held that defendants need fair notice, meaning that language of criminal statutes must be clear to give reasonable notice of what is prohibited. Uh, we're going to have to wait and see how this actually plays out in the courts. But I think that it's one of the highest uh, profile cases in this ongoing question uh, surrounding this big picture issue of what digital assets are and are not securities in the eyes of U.S. law, Elaine. Yeah, and Ash, just to bring up another tweet from Paul, and it's quoted, by suing sellers of XRP tokens after making public statements signaling, signaling that those transactions were lawful, the SEC has lost sight of this bedrock principle. Strong words indeed from the chief legal officer from Coinbase. And it should be noticed that Coin uh, Cointelegraph reported that Brad Garlinghouse, the CEO of Ripple, said at a recent uh, DC FinTech week that he believes that the case should be wrapped up by the middle of 2023. And speaking of regulation, we've got another juicy story regarding the SEC. In an interview published yesterday with our good friends at Decrypt, SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce argued that the SEC is not treating crypto the way it would any other asset. As Commissioner Peirce told Decrypt, crypto is being treated differently and it's not the good kind of different. Peirce argues that crypto is being handled with a much more aggressive approach and that it is driving people away from the SEC and to the CFTC, which is the Commodities Futures Trading Commission. However, this is a sharp contrast to the views of Gary Gensler, the current chair of the SEC, who has argued that he and the SEC treat crypto no differently than any other commodity and that he encourages any crypto companies to come in and talk to the SEC. So, Ash, what do you make of this drama going on over there? Well, you know, Elaine, I think the real story here is what Commissioner Persis says. I want to read a couple of quotes that I think illustrate this point more broadly. Quote, the customers aren't in the room, the competitors aren't in the room, and the regulator has leverage because the regulator is about to bring an enforcement action. It's just not a good way of regulating. This is this idea that we've talked about here on the show before, the idea of regulation by enforcement rather than having sort of clear guidelines uh, that good actors who want to be uh, good actors in the space can, can follow. Uh, and then for emphasis, I think this point is important also from Commissioner Peirce. Quote, ultimately, you're going to see aspects of this thing called crypto permeating all aspects of our lives. I think this is an incredibly important point. You can see how she's setting this up, uh, this question about uh, the notion that effectively you have uh, you have the customers who aren't in the room, you have competitors who aren't in the room, and you have this, this sort of very broad secular trend of digital assets becoming increasingly more important to the U.S. economy uh, and indeed to the global economy. Um, but I, I wanted to point out a couple of a couple of other things here. There's some excellent reporting uh, coming out of Decrypt on this, and and one of the points uh, I think very much in support 
of the points that Commissioner Peirce was making, uh, is that SEC has not issued a single exemptive order. Uh, Decrypt defines this rather elegantly here, which is it's a statement from the agency clarifying that a certain action would not be considered a securities violation or pursued by the SEC as such, uh, meaning uh, the SEC has essentially not given guidance about what good behavior looks like. They've told uh, by enforcement action uh, what some of the bad behavior would look like. And this really is the, the very heart of the challenge. And I'm extremely excited, actually, uh, to talk to Georgia about precisely these questions. Obviously, I'm not a lawyer. I've weighed through this information like everyone else trying to make some sense of it. But one other final point uh, here uh, that I wanted to uh, that I wanted to to make, and this is this is really a great one. Nico Brugge grabbed this this morning. Uh, this is a quote from uh, from Mark Cuban, uh, obviously uh, the great U.S. entrepreneur, uh, in response to SEC Chair Gary Gensler, which is I think pretty amusing. And it, it certainly it kind of sums up a certain vibe that we see in the crypto space. Mark Cuban, in response to uh, Chair Gensler saying, "Come in." Uh, and talk says, quote, come in and talk to who? Set up an appointment how? You using Calendly these days? And then he goes on to say, uh, since you understand crypto lending and finances, why don't you just publish bright line guidelines you would like to see and open it up for comment? So that's really kind of the the general tone in the space right now. That's the, that's the framework we find ourselves in. That's the conversation that we're having right now, Elaine. Mm, sassy and demanding for answers. Well, hopefully that changes sooner rather than later, because it's obvious that everyone, including those within the SEC, are screaming for greater clarity. But that's enough on regulation right now. On to our final story. Well, Halloween might be over, but we've still got some scary news. According to Cointelegraph and the blockchain security firm Peck Shield, October 2022, otherwise known as Hacktober, uh, saw roughly 44 exploits across 53 protocols, a total of 760 million dollars was stolen in that month alone. Overall, as Peckshill tweeted, that brings the 2022 total of hacked funds to a whopping $3 billion thus far this year. That's double the $1.55 billion lost in all of 2021. October's biggest hacks uh, attacks include the BNB chain exploit in which $586 million was lost, according to Peckshield. However, of the $760 million that was stolen last month, nearly $100 million was returned. As for the year overall, of the nearly $3 billion stolen, roughly $860 million, to be more precise, has been returned. Definitely some scary stats right there. Remember, everyone, stay safe out there. Don't go clicking on any dodgy links. Anyway, that's all the news for today. And on to our main interview. Let's bring in Georgia Quinn, General Counsel for Anchorage Digital. Um, Ash, Georgia, super excited to hear this conversation, especially considering all regulation news today. I'll be back later with the key takeaways. Take it away, Ash. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. George, it's great to have you back on the show. It's the perfect day to have you here. All of this news flow uh, around what's happening in the legal and regulatory front, some news flow coming out of Anchorage Digital. So much to talk about. Where do we start? 
Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, Ash, thank you so much for having me. It is great to see you again. Um, poor Elaine, she's out of here because she heard regulation was coming back up. So she's got to get a coffee. I get it. I get it. Um, I don't know, based on your, um, you know, opening stories, I'd, I'd love to kind of hit some points um, with respect to those issues. So Jump maybe, in. We start with, uh, maybe we start with Coinbase and Ripple. Let's do it. Excellent. So um, just one observation I have always had about Coinbase and, um, you know, its current legal positioning is the fact that it is a publicly traded company. Right. And during its S1 process and the entire going public endeavor, they were investigated heavily by the SEC. They reviewed all of their documents that are filed as exhibits to their S1. They reviewed their business plan. They reviewed all of their public disclosures. They knew each and every token that was being listed and, and offered on that platform. And yet, they took no issue. If that company was actually engaged in illegal activities, knowingly illegal activities, why on earth would we allow that company to go public? Why on earth would we allow publicly traded pension funds and mom and pop retirement funds, retail investors to be able to invest in such a company? Um, I mean, it was trading XRP right under its nose. So I find that um, odd. Also, if we look at the recent insider trading case, the Walid case, right? They list nine. This is a case of, of I believe it's fair to say, uh, actors who were not uh, whose whose interests had diverged from the company, right? They were doing uh, they were doing sort of this freelancing operation according to the according to the filings. Uh, this was not something that was being carried out sort of by design by the company. Is that correct to say? One hundred percent. These are bad actors. These are bad guys. They messed up, made big mistakes. Those those guys should not have done what they did. But the point is, in order to be prosecuted by the SEC, those underlying assets have to be securities. Now, I'm not talking about the wire fraud case. DOJ can bring any old claim it wants, and that's great. But the SEC case requires those underlying assets to be securities. Right. So, ergo, if those are securities, then does that not impute the trading of unregistered securities to Coinbase itself? So what you're pointing Again, out here just, is essentially there are just nuances here. Right. These are effectively all of these weird paradoxes or seeming paradoxes that we see in the space right now because of the lack of sort of effective uh, declarative regulation. Exactly. And if it was so clear, you know, according to some regulators, that these assets are indeed securities, then how could we have let this happen? So where do we... Anyway. Where, just so thoughts, musings. It's a great, it's a great hypothetical question. And where do you land with that, right? And how do you do business in this environment with all of these sort of weird, paradoxical, strange circumstances that we find ourselves in? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, here at Anchorage, we really seek out regulatory clarity, right? So we are looking for black letter, white paper rules that we can really cling to. And that's what kind of led us to seek out this federal banking charter, because that made it, you know, there are very clear rules about what is required of a bank to operate, very clear rules about, you know, the different um, standards that we will be held to. And so, you know, even though it is a very, um, a very strict regulatory regime, we chose to take that path because we knew that there was certainty. and. Um, it's, you know, it's it's actually helped us in many ways. It's allowed us to 
operate on a on a federal you know on a, on a national scale whereas before we were having to look to each independent state at their regulatory regime right. and determine what kind of licensure we needed to operate there sometimes those states would actually conflict and you'd have to provide certain you know procedures for one state and different for another and that's not scalable um we also are now able to be a you know unequivocal qualified custodian which is um, a particular type of custodian required by SEC registered entities. And Georgia, not, also, to, not to take anything for granted, talk a little bit. I know you've given the background here on the federally chartered framework and the custodian relationship, but talk a little bit about what role Anchorage plays big picture in the digital asset ecosystem right now. Sure. So, um, and I probably should, I should intro with that, right? But uh, Anchorage Digital is a platform for institutions that are looking to custody, uh, trade, participate in governance, staking, and financing opportunities with digital assets. We are a crypto native firm. Um, our, our DNA is in security infrastructure. So um, the, the solutions that we offer come from a security first bedrock, and then we build functionality on top of that. And important to point out that your clients are some of the, the most regulated uh, types of entities here in the United States, and I, I guess potentially abroad. This is the idea here is that this is obviously for people who have these regulatory requirements uh, because of the nature of their own businesses and then need to follow these protocols, procedures, and legal rules. Exactly. So we feel that you know digital assets will only get mass adoption once we have a regulated safe place for them to exist and that starts with institutions and other institutions will only rely on a heavily regulated entity to perform these kinds of you know frankly safety and soundness sort of activities so we have we are custodying these assets without you know without the keys you don't have the coin. So we need to make sure that that fundamental layer is in place before you can do anything else, right? I can't trade an asset if I don't know it's going to be held safe when it settles. And so by, by providing that, that underlying architecture, um, we allow other institutions to safely participate in this ecosystem and know that then they can provide their products to their ultimate customers. Hey, talking of which, I know we've got a little bit of news flow out of Anchorage Digital yesterday with uh, the deal with uh, Apollo Global Management. This is a U.S. private equity giant uh, announcing uh, that you guys were eventually doing a, a joint venture, uh, chosen uh, Anchorage Digital as its global custodian. Tell us a little bit about what that means and what its significance is. Yeah, I mean, it's a watershed moment for us. This is true adoption by some of the you know marquee names in, in traditional finance. And we're so happy that they you know, are working with us and they've been to date such incredible partners and we're really looking forward to, you know, kind of this is, I mean, this is our dream, right? We're, we're a little hokey over here, but we are building the future. And this has been a great partner to do that with. And I think it also shows um, that we are not in some kind of death match with traditional finance where, you know, the crypto is gonna right. take over. Like that is just not the case. and. Building these true partnerships and you know this symbiosis between uh, these these kind of old world and new world is is essential if if we're ever going to succeed with this asset class. 
Well, it is really interesting because there is this this kind of open question is, is it symbiosis or is it civil war? We saw these uh, conversations in the space a, a couple of weeks ago with, uh, I guess, uh, Sam, Sam Bankman-Fried uh, and Eric Voorhees talking about uh, the future of, of, of Ethereum and some other assets. Would they be regulated? Would they not be regulated? Uh, things like, uh, obviously, we've been talking about here uh, whether or not things are securities. Uh, other questions about AML, KYC, and also OFAC compliance. How do you think about the, some of the, the ethos in the space? If you go up to the Ethereum website, for example, uh, and you command F uh, and you search for the phrase credible neutrality uh, or uh, censorship resistance, you see this comes up a great deal. These are values that are sort of very important to people who are in the open source side of the space. And yet we have this regulated space uh, on the other hand. How do you think about reconciling those two positions? Yes. Yeah, so to me, it's really simple. Um, and I love when people are like, oh, no, we're not regulated. This is this is unregulated. Um, yeah. So there are more rules in this country about what you can do with people's money than what you can do with people's kids. So think about that. OK, if you take somebody's money and you promise to do something with it and then you don't do that thing, you broken the law. Like, actually, don't care what you call it. I don't care the terminology. I don't care what technology you're doing it on. It's illegal. And so um, that is just like first and foremost, I think the what we need to what we need to understand. Now, things have different definitions and things fall into different buckets of, you know, our wonderful regulatory um, architecture that we have in this country, you know, where like every single asset has its own primary regulator. Um, that that's, you know, a, a little annoying right. and um you know kind of inefficient for an asset like this that like yeah. doesn't really know borders or boundaries um right. but it's it's disingenuous to say that you're not regulated and that this and that this you know ecosystem is not regulated um the level of regulation and i think the, i think the like, claims among some are even, even broader than that right that it's not that it's just it's, it's impossible to regulate that there are those particularly in the libertarian side of the spectrum would say I mean, I think there are some things that uh, the actual code and especially, you know, open source code operating in the wild. Yeah, tough to regulate. Um, code that someone is making money off of because it has a smart contract attached to it that pays them, you know, a certain percentage of transaction fees on a periodic basis um, for which they enter into legal contractual arrangements. Um, that's 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 not unregulatable you know right. that is a guy who's signing papers and taking fees that kind of sounds like a broker to me so i mean we have to be realistic about what we're talking about i think i think fundamentally that open source code operating agree 100 percent. that's 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 speech that should not be regulated but we have to like really talk about what's happening on the ground because yeah. i have a lot of you know i mean DeFi is is wonderful and I and I love the the thought project of it and I think there are some wonderful projects out there but I know a lot of DeFi protocols that um are legal entities operated by people that have employees and are making money and like they're companies yeah and they look like a lot like financial services in fact in many cases exactly like financial services exactly like when you take people's money and promise to do something with it baseline. Yeah. You mentioned uh, sort of the, the regulatory framework we have. One of the big questions that's been uh, discussed here on the show and elsewhere, of course, is uh, SEC versus CFTC as a primary regulator of the space. How do you think about that question? 
Yeah, I mean, I love this debate, you know, because I think f uh, naturally the place for cryptos is with the CFTC. I think once the space truly evolves and, and and you know, kind of becomes what I think we're envisioning it to be, it really should be traded like Forex. And that squarely falls within the ambit of the CFTC. Now, you know, I, we're obviously not there yet. There's a lot of growth and maturity that needs to happen. And frankly, a lot of um, infrastructure that needs to be put in place. Um, but I don't think that the SEC, at least with the current state of regulatory framework, like the way the rules are actually written and work, will allow digital assets to actually function, right? Because when you when you read like the 34 Act, it requires for all transactions to have a clearing agent and a transfer agent and you know an underlying broker and a clearinghouse. And so those things are not necessary on the blockchain. And if we right. continue to require those elements, it will destroy the whole beauty um, and purpose, frankly, of the blockchain. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best, it's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line, it's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI, it's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So, so one of the things I want to throw this out as a wild card, and I, I've talked about this as to me, perhaps the, the single uh, most potentially problematic thing that's happening in the space right now, because it, it feels to me like a sort of uh, an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object. You know, we've been talking about uh, the regulatory action about whether things are or are not securities, the Howey test. Um, you know, to me, I, I think that there's been some regulatory forbearance shown here. One of the interesting things about this debate that we were talking about last week uh, around Ethereum is uh, is questions about OFAC sanctions, which seem to me uh, something that is um, I, I suspect it, there's going to be less forbearance uh, on behalf of the government when uh, you see the potential to effectively move massive sums of money uh, from sanctioned entities around the world. How do you guys think about that? How does it relate to your business? And what are your thoughts more generally on that? Yeah, I mean, we're a BSA regulated entity, so we think a lot about this. And we have, you know, procedures in place to vet the wallet addresses where assets are coming, the wallet addresses where assets are moving to. So, you know, we we really work to be uh, to ensure compliance with all, you know, OFAC sanctions. I see where it gets a little trickier is kind of what people have been talking about with respect to node validation. And what if, you know, you validate a block or you right. propose a block that contains a transaction right. that yeah. And, and what if and what if the U in this in this in this clause is uh, is a, a publicly traded U.S. corporation with U.S. persons who are directors and officers, and you're regulated uh, by you know OCC and the whole alphabet soup of other agencies? Boy, that's one hell of a question. I agree. And what we need in that instance is like some clear guidance because this cannot be regulated in a way where those people should have any liability. That it, they are not furthering illegal or sanctioned transactions, okay? They are participating um, as basically a common carrier to move information from one place to another. If I send an email over Microsoft, you know, Word email, whatever their email is, um, that is furthering, you know, my money laundering activities, we don't go sue Bill Gates, right? So it's it's the pipes. You don't sue the pipes. You don't you don't hold them accountable. You don't you don't 
go after the, the public highways where the robber drives away on. And that's really the analogy that me needs to be made. It's the underlying infrastructure um, that they're just helping. It just so happens that instead of like a centralized company like Microsoft that maintains the infrastructure, it's a decentralized group of participants that make sure that the, the rails work and the roads are paved, et cetera, et cetera. It's a quite reasonable argument. Whether Treasury sees it that way remains to be seen. We'll work on it. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about what's happening in Asia. I know that you guys are doing some expansion there. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Asian market and what you see. Uh, so, yes, we um, are very excited about Asia. Um, we've had a lot of outreach and demand um, from many countries in that area. And probably, you know, most exciting for me because I'm, you know, a nerd, is the regulatory clarity that Singapore has provided. Mm. So the MAS has promulgated a set of regs specific to digital assets that- This is the Monetary Authority need. of Singapore. Correct. So, I mean, it's just, it's refreshing, frankly. Um, kind of just another point to make is that the, the Monetary Authority of Singapore oversees all financial services. Right. So I don't have literally 17 different agencies that I need to go apply to, you know, for licensure or, you know, provide certain documentation to. It's just one centralized authority that, you know, it kind of makes sense, right? Because my products and services are related to one another. And the fact that they understand the way that they that they connect and they get the, you know, kind of holistic picture of our business, really, I mean, it makes sense from a regulator standpoint. So, right. so yes. So long story short, we're currently in the licensing process in Singapore, um, and you know it's it's we're we're very excited and and we're finding the process um, again refreshing. Georgia, you're one of our favorite guests on the show. You answer the hard questions, which I always appreciate. I know we've covered a lot of ground here today. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers with. You know, I mean, we didn't get to touch on it, but I I do want to point out that hope is not lost. Okay, and. Congress has the power to act. And in, in this country, I think right now, they're kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi and our only hope. So there are a couple bills currently- That's a scary um, thought. I know, right? <laughs> I hate myself for saying it, but it's really all we got. So that's where we are, folks. Uh, but, but seriously, there are two uh, bills that are gaining bipartisan support. One is re with respect to stable coins. And um, we think it's got a lot of potential. Uh, so, you know, we're hoping that this is kind of the, just the, like, the, the initial move that gets that flywheel going, right? Because crypto and digital assets are not partisan. They're not bipartisan. Frankly, they're nonpartisan. This is technology. It, is, it knows no politics. And so the fact that we haven't been able to really generate bipartisan support has been extremely frustrating. Um, but now the fact that we are starting to get some is is actually uh, really positive. And so stablecoin bill, and then also um, there's a bill on the horizon um, kind of moving a jurisdiction to the CFTC for, you know, hopefully a majority of these assets. And so those would be, you know, two really great uh, milestones in, in the regulatory framework if we could move that forward. Georgia, your sunny optimism has warmed my heart this morning. I'm in the lemonade business. Let's bring Elaine Lee back in, who I know has been listening eagerly to all of this. Well, hot damn, Ash and Georgia, that was definitely my daily dose of crypto regulation right there. Um, a complex conversation, but one that the industry has to continue to have 
every single day to really push through the crypto adoption forward. Really enjoyed listening in. Look, here's what I picked up over to the takeaways from this conversation. Number one is that operating with regular regulatory clarity gives you certainty. It allows you to operate with, with conviction, I guess. So we've heard time and time and again that complexity is risk. But following through the black and white steps that Georgia mentioned, it allows a company like Anchorage to move forward on a national scale rather than by states. Number two, something else that I picked up was this is a moment to really mark true adoption of crypto. We keep hearing institutions are coming, institutions are coming to crypto. But with a partnership like this between Anchorage Digital and Apollo Global, which is one of the world's largest asset managers, and I read something that they are a private equity giant that looks um, uh, looks after the management assets of 513 billion. Um, that is a solid signal that we needed in order to survive another week in this uh, bear market. And that institutional money is already here in the crypto space, but they're here for the long run. So it's only a matter of time that we need to strap up again and put our seatbelts back on. And as Georgia says, it's not um, that they're in a death match, the, the two can work together. And over to my final point, I like the conversation about Asia. I'm Asian and I love spending so much time out in Asia, but Singapore is the front runner of crypto clarity in terms of regulation. Look, it's no secret that um, you know Singapore is making some of the biggest waves over there, but the licensing processes uh, processes go through quicker. And as Georgia said, it's refreshing. So there's a collective agreement within the Singaporean government across all boards that deal with financial services in the world of digital assets. Those are the things that stood out to me the most. Ash and Georgia, what do you think? Did I get that right? <laughs> I'm patting myself on the back right now. I, I did yeah, a great job. Yes, that sounds Yeah, you perfect. should. If that's what you got. <laughs> it always sounds great when Elaine sums it up. <laughs> well, um, okay. I don't think that, let me just take a little bit of the note, that we have no time for viewer questions today. So I have to wrap up with both of you. Thank you uh, both for your conversation today. All right. For those of you watching, don't forget to subscribe that Real Vision Crypto is free. For those of you watching on YouTube, smash everything, the like button, the bells, the whistles, and subscribe. Join us tomorrow for our interview when Marit Seibert sits down with Pranav Kanade, a digital asset portfolio manager at Van Eck. See you all then at 12 noon Eastern live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing.